And there it is. There it is. South African hands aloft. They have come from behind. And they will defend their Rugby World Cup title. Hello and welcome to a very, very special episode of Elite Rugby Banter. We are finally here. It's the finals week of the Rugby World Cup. We've been building up to this for the last four years since the Springboks uh, beat England 32-12 in the final back in 2019. How can we forget? But uh, this week, it's all about New Zealand. The Springboks were victorious on the weekend. New Zealand beat Argentina themselves and we'll get into all of that and preview the weekend action. But first... Let's say hello to my guests. We've got Andrew and Ant as usual. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. Uh, had a wonderful week and uh, weekend. I watched the the rugby in a little tiny pub in Vakastrum. Um, so the metropolis of Vakastrum in eastern Mpumalanga in the middle of flipping nowhere. But it was a vibe. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be talking finals and that the Springboks are there, <laughs> obviously. How tense were you in the final? How 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 crazy was it in the pub? Uh, um, yeah, tensions were running high, um, as were the bar tabs, and uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll get into that a bit more later. Yeah, I had to uh, have a couple of tequilas, I think, just to keep me a little bit more calm. But Ant in Cape Town, how are you doing? I mean, I'm good, but I had a completely the opposite experience from Andrew. Um, my weekend was incredibly stressful, obviously, given the Springbok result. Yep. Um, and got far too little sleep. The only thing that I'm thankful for thought was that the game at least was on a Sunday and not a sun. This was on a Saturday, and not a Sunday, because um, otherwise today would have been a complete write-off. Um, no, my watching experience though was we went to uh, had a bride at a mate's house, but it was reserved for people that take two things very seriously their bride and their rugby um and just the, the, the quality of the meats that were being produced there the fire started about two o'clock and just like platters of um ribs and like savory broils and steak and t-bone just like it was a, a complete harvest table of just beautifully bride meat um and then you know the rugby was taken very seriously i think we were at least 10 brandies deep before kickoff and i can't lost count of how many spring bookies we'd had throughout the game so um all artfully poured so it was it was all around a very very good experience um sounds, sounds the, the right way to itself. do it <laughs> yeah it sounds like the right way to do it and to get you prepared you know all the brandy and springbok shots i think i had a few of them too they were on special wherever i was and it's like i don't really like that sort of minty shot they taste way too weak and sweet but uh you know they were going down <laughs> well <laughs> um yeah but uh, before we get into the semi-finals we also had the opening of the urc this weekend so the south african teams involved the sharks went down to munster unfortunately the bulls hammered the scarlets quite a convincing win and then the lions mounted in a very impressive comeback against the stormers but fell just short um andrew you watched the stormers match any first impressions for the season uh, for the Stormers, it was a, a very promising first half. And for the Lions, it was a very, very promising second half. Um, that scoreline should have never been that close. The Stormers were on complete ascendancy. 
and then the Lions, you know, literally or figuratively came roaring back into the game. Um, there was like expansive <laughs> rugby all around. Um, I had quite a lot of skin in the game in our fantasy draft. I had uh, Evan Ruiz and uh, Sasha and Gomazulu, who, who both went quite well. Sasha especially, um, who, who deserves a shout out for his wonder try where he had his little uh, yeah. keep the uppies to, <laughs> to keep the ball in possession, which is incredible. Uh, go watch the highlights if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, nice to see Warwick Galant back uh, and doing Galant things. I think it's going to be uh, that that back line is going to be super stacked when uh, Willemse and Lebok return. Uh, it's just going to be insane. So uh, it feels like a lot of creativity and, and uh, yeah. Very, very fun to watch rugby uh, in stock for us there at the Stormers. But the, the Lions, I think, could take a lot from that. Um, Phil, you're obviously a Lions fan. Um, they they showed a lot of characters come back when the game looked like it was beyond them, and I thought it was going to get really, really ugly. Uh, but their, their players stood up eventually. Um, is that just first game rust? What do you put that down to? Yeah, it was a strange one. Like, sort of took... There was a good start, I think, Um after PJ Boeta scored the try, I was feeling pretty positive. But then Stormers just ran in like a whole number of tries in quick succession. Uh, the strange thing was that the Lions started a lot of their good players on the bench, like especially some of the young players. Like Ruan Fenter came on and made a real impact. Even Mone Vandenberg. Um, Henke van Weg. So, and Henke van Weg obviously Beek. came on and scored a try. So I'm hoping that next week we'll see more of these players start and we'll be able to build a bit more but um yeah it, it was all a little bit loose i think and that allowed the stormers to really run in those tries uh but uh, yeah pretty promising like the youngsters putting their hands up is always nice to see well so, the, the lions did end up outscoring the Stormers five to four if i remember right so it was really uh session gormazulu's two long range 55 meter penalties that that won them the game. Um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, hopefully a bit of a wake-up call for the Storm is that they can't go to sleep. But um, yeah, as a general sport of South African rugby, it was good to see the Lions come back, actually. Yeah, and the Lions have to go on tour now, so they've got a few difficult games up in Europe. Um, I think the Stormers are hosting the Scarlets down in Stellenbosch this weekend. So that, based on the Scarlets' performance in Pretoria, should be a relatively easy match. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, and unlucky for them to lose their captain as well. So Salman Murat uh, was yes. with a pick injury, who who also happens to be in my fantasy team, or he was until I traded him out this evening. Um, so yeah, he's just like been really unlucky with injuries. He was just coming back from a long injury layoff for his ankle, I think it was, and he was made the captain and all this uh, promise, uh, but he didn't play any preseason, and I wonder how that played into him getting injured potentially. Uh, maybe he's just really unlucky, but there's a good chance he wasn't really match conditioned. So I feel like a pec injury is not something that you like. That's you know that's not like match prep that will like prevent that or help that. But con con yeah, but it's, it's maybe purely, purely anecdotally. Yeah. <laughs> it's just frustrating for him, right? Like he's even been in the Springbok squads. I can't remember if he's got a cap or not, but like he's been right on the edge and just injuries have just held him back. And like at his age now, he really needs to have a run where, you know, like post-World Cup where he might get more of an opportunity with a couple of other guys moving on or being a bit busier. But this injury is He was the time. same the same uh, team as um, Willemse, LeBarque, 
Bosch had. But he was their captain. That was the twenty nineteen. So he's what twenty four now. That could be right. I think he's at least twenty four. Yeah, but could yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Ant, on the Sharks side, uh, I don't know if you managed to watch any of the game. Did you see any of the highlights from their game? I watched some live. I kind of, to be honest, went out as well as I could have expected. Uh, the Sharks scored some tries, but overall we're just, you know, overpowered by, by Monster. I mean, which is, you know, I suppose if you think about it, the Sharks are playing pretty much a B team considering most of their players are with the Springboks. Um, so, you know, like... It is what it is. Playing the defending champions away from home in your first game, like they're not really expecting too much. Um, so the fact that they were—I mean, I wouldn't say they were competitive, but they, they at least did trouble them on the score scoreboard a little bit. Um, you know, it's kind of about par for the course, I think. I mean, it wasn't—it wasn't a horrific showing, and um, yeah, hopefully there's there's a lot more growth and building to come. I think there were some individual performances which are quite nice, but overall, yeah like about on par, I think, given the relative finishers of the teams last year. Yeah, I think because Munster, like compared to Leinster, don't really lose as much because the Irish players haven't really come back into camp yet. But Munster only have about three players who have played considerable minutes in the World Cup. So it's almost a, a full-strength squad. Um, and like you say, they're reigning champions. So... Perhaps a pretty tough start for the Sharks, and they, they're obviously staying on tour, so it's going to be a tough tough start at, in in any case just to get some points on the board. Yeah, and the Sharks, um, Sharks are unlikely to see their box for quite a while, and they have they have signed a few marquee players, and uh, the likes of, you know, Bongi and Bonambi, he's going to need a serious rest. We'll talk about how tired he and the other Springboks looked this last weekend. Mapimpi's injured. Um, Lucanio Am is there. Hopefully, he'll go, he'll come back quickly because he hasn't played any minutes for the box in the World Cup. Uh, yeah. yeah, guys like Ox, um, Evan, uh, Vincent. I mean, Sia. I know, so Sia's gone, but like, yeah, uh, that's half their tied five. Two scrum um, halves. And again, the, the same issues, the same issues yeah. as, as last year, where you know, the Sharks have a good good depth in the front row, but no depth at all in the locks. Um, and I don't think that's a gap that they've plugged, unfortunately. Yeah, and strange to see Fassi still on the bench. Um, you know, he is also Springbok in twenty or in the Lions tour. Yeah, we saw him sort of get his first cap, and he hasn't really pushed on either domestically or on the international level. So hopefully, this season he'll make the Sharks starting team and be able to show a bit more of what he's capable of. Well, he did at least. Uh, yeah, I wonder if it's just a tact. I wonder if yeah. it's just a tactical decision that you know, because he's a flair fullback, and they're choosing Chamberlain, who's you know obviously a playoff, so more of a kicking tactical option. Like, I wonder if he's just not the player to fit the, the game plan of the Sharks at the moment. Um, whatever, yeah. whatever the game plan is. I, but yeah, it is. It is sad to see guys that you know were touted as future Springbok players to just be riding pine. Yeah, well, I saw it. I saw an article which quoted the Sharks assistant coach. I forget what the name is. Um, was it Joey, Joey Mangalo, I think? Yes. Um, Earlier, he, last, he, last year, yeah. Yeah, he was saying like, um, Apalele has shown incredible potential and he is a springbok, but he this this season will probably decide whether he is a, a two-cap springbok or, and a, an 120-cap Sharks player or a 60-cap springbok 
you know. So he he needs to really turn a corner this season to put his name back in the hat for that position. Um, obviously, Willems has you know, pretty much nailed that down now after we expect Billy to retire. But uh, Fussy can can throw his name in the hat and at least get into extended squads if he if he performs. Um, and a try off the bench is not a bad way to start the season if you are going to start on the bench. Yeah, and uh, new coach, obviously, John Plumtree would be hoping that he could have had a slightly better start, but uh, the season is still young, and the URC isn't won in October or November or, or this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of John Plumtree, his son made his debut for the Scarlets and scored two tries up in uh, Pretoria at Loftus. However, the ball still won 63-21. Um, Cameron Hanacom scored two tries on his debut, and half or more than half i think five or six of our managers in our draft league tried to pick him up because he was a free agent but uh yeah it's a good sign for a new number eight um and the balls just look like they're sort of purring at this stage happy with a really positive start yeah geez the bulls loose forward stocks are really soaring they've got uh could see marcel could see who's the obviously the captain but then Alric Lowe, who's also a Springbok, and now this Cameron Hunnicom dude with uh, Markov and Starden to come back, and a couple of other options like Nizam Carr, and uh, they're, they're really looking healthy at loose forward. Uh, the Bulls are Bulls are smiling right now. Um, they also go on tour now, don't they? Um, they might do. Uh, I'm not sure. I think they, uh, yeah, they're playing Ulster this weekend, so there'll be an island on Sunday. Oh, yeah, so it's a tough schedule for them, um, but not not much to shout home about for the Scarlets or indeed for any Welsh team this weekend. Yeah, zero out of four for the Welsh teams, um, which I'm sure Ben would have enjoyed. It's always uh, re reveling in Welsh misery, but um, yeah, we move on. And in addition to the semi-finals in Cape Town, currently the, the WXV2 is taking place. So South Africa played their second game of the tournament against Italy on Friday afternoon. Unfortunately, it went down 36-18 and had a yellow and a red card, uh, which was which impacted the performance, I think. Uh, Aceza Hille, who's one of the star players, got a red card just after halftime while the game was still close. Um, but yeah, the South Africa, I guess, are like on the bottom scale of the WXV2. They're sort of the lowest ranked team and they're playing teams that are higher in the rankings and generally stronger but i guess the sort of game experience and having these matches against better teams will hopefully in the long run be good for them yeah and hopefully just the professionalism that the bulls are encouraging starts to flow through as well yeah um yeah and just uh to mention quickly that uh i think it was uh, Nolusinda Siso Boy became the highest capped uh, Springbok woman of all time. So well done to her. Unfortunately, on the losing side this time, as quite often happens, but uh, still quite a big accomplishment. So then moving on to semifinals, we can start on Friday night with the, I would say, lesser even before the matches themselves of the two semifinals, just in terms of competition and how close the game would be and unfortunately for argentina we saw new zealand really run away with it and perhaps not not be tested anywhere near the level that even they would want um 
So, yeah, what do you guys think? Do you think New Zealand were that good or Argentina just didn't come to the table at all? I don't think either team really pitched up. I mean, we were all saying on Friday that it was like quite a terrible game to watch. And, you know, it's, it's so weird for a team, you know, that won by 30, 40 points to be criticized for a poor performance. And I think, as, you know, the All Blacks just do what they do is they capitalize on, on mistakes and Argentina were incredibly poor. Um, but I don't think the All Blacks played particularly well. I and mean, we were saying at the time that, like, other teams wouldn't have been scared of that All Blacks performance. Um, and yes, we will come to the obvious elephant in the room very shortly about the Springbok performance. So we're not getting too full of ourselves. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't the type of performance All Blacks. You know, it was it wasn't like this dominant All Blacks machine that you know we've seen in the past, or we've seen in other games with similar score lines. I think it spoke much more probably about Argentina just being like England level bads, bad rather than than the All Blacks particularly good yeah argentina just really shouldn't have been there in the first place they were lucky to be on that side of the draw and they've not played well this tournament uh, they you know had lost to england quite badly and, and never really recovered after a, a fairly promising uh pre-tournament showing so they sort of were true to form and just didn't play all that well there were periods where they threatened uh, New Zealand, got over the game line, got into the 22 and, and threatened to 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 break through. And then I felt like they had this um, game plan of little chips and grubbers uh, over the top to kick into space and threaten that way. So they had position for 10, 12, 15 phases and then would try this little grubber, which just never came off. And they lost possession. Uh, New Zealand had an easy exit and they started again. It was like brainless rugby i don't know what the the tactic was there but it, it just absolutely didn't work and every threatening opportunity they had they just like completely notified themselves by you know, pointless kicks yeah i think they'd be really disappointed just not to be able to you know cross the line and get a try in the game at all i mean it was 6 12 actually after 35 minutes so at that point you know before the floodgates really opened up. They would be happy to be in it, but Shannon Frizzell scored a try just before half time, and then uh, I think took the sort of wind out of their sails a bit. And then in the second half, it was one-way traffic, and even a Scott Barrett yellow card uh, couldn't stem the flow of things at that point. And I think New Zealand didn't even bring a, a player back on after the yellow card period ended, so they played the last five minutes of the match like voluntarily with a man down so that's an interesting way of taking it but it also shows the lack of threat that argentina showed um special mention to will jordan who scored uh a hat trick in this match and he tied the record he goes equal with brian habana jonah lamu and julian severe on eight tries in one tournament meaning that he needs one against the springboks to uh take the record all for himself and um I'm sure not just Brian Havana, but millions of other South Africans will be hoping he won't be able to do so. Well, if if Richie Manga hadn't been such a stingy bastard, then he should have had four and broken the record in this game. There was like a clear run-in where Richie just decided to hang on to it and go inside, um, which, I mean, he, he, I hope he bought him a beer afterwards because that was criminal. That, I mean, the game had gone. So or or maybe, maybe it wasn't. Maybe he just has too much respect for Lomu and, you know, 
<laughs> his, his record be taken away. People really do uh, love Jonah Lomu. Um, I was watching, I think it was the official podcast, the Rugby World Cup one, and just um, men- the people mentioning his name and the sort of awe and or the aura of his name and people talking about him is still amazing. Dan Carter was saying that he's still like the most amazing player that he played with. Um, so that's saying something. But I think uh, Moanga said after the game that he didn't want to give the record to George just, just so, you know, he's a young player. He's still got something to strive towards and maybe a bit more hunger in the finals. So we'll see, we'll see if that rings true or not. But uh, hopefully South Africa can shut him down. Yeah, I mean, it would be disappointing. Would we, would we be given the record if we um, beat them? Would we take that as a trade? Easily. I mean, I think that should be, except for Habana again, maybe. But I'm sure even Brian Habana would uh, be happy to give his record away if it meant um, another World Cup and the first team to score four tries. I mean, all World Cups. The first team to get four World Cups. Uh, I think Habana would trade that away. Surely. Yeah, I would, I would hope so. I mean, Aban has said he's was, he's pretty happy for his record to be broken anyway. So, you know, yeah. I mean, whether that's just Abana being silver-tongued and the people's favourite um, is a is a separate comment. But um... yeah. So, uh, any any closing comments? Maybe just in term, we'll get into the preview and what we expect from New Zealand against South Africa. But I guess a relatively disappointing semi-final, especially given the high quality and uh, closeness of the quarterfinals like you said andrew argentina sort of happy to probably be in the semi-final but obviously the manner of defeat at this stage was really disappointing but um i think for the all blacks they would have also just wanted a little bit sterner of a competition like they got a relative rest but they're not as match hardy as the springboks would be well yeah it was a similar situation in that semi-final and i think it segues nicely uh, to the other where new zealand had to get themselves up in a huge way for for ireland and i just don't feel their their guys were quite at the races uh in a very similar way that the springboks also suffered from fatigue and lethargy and uh, maybe maybe not motivation i think that might be a step too far but um they they really got themselves up one week before and weren't able to replicate the performance so you know are you saying that carrying bags is a better motivator than lifting up a land rover (laughs) or do you think that that's what tied them out you know yeah maybe they should stop lifting cars and start lifting weights i don't know Yeah, well, uh, we'll move swiftly on to the Springboks game. Um, it was in a very wet Paris on Saturday night, which uh, we, we spoke about in our, one of our groups about whether that would be beneficial or not for the Springboks. And um, in hindsight, easy to say no, but I guess even at the time, like we've shown that we've been happy to throw a ball at least in the, at the beginning of the game. So I think the rain... Firstly, it wasn't ideal, but we should have probably been a bit more prepared for it. But uh, England raced into a 6-0 lead, and then we fought back a bit, but 12-6 at halftime. Owen Farrell scored a very nice drop goal just after halftime to make it 15-6. And given how close the game was, it 
things were not looking great at that point. We looked like we were struggling to um, get into the game as much as we would have hoped. England, to be honest, dominated large portions of the game. But in the second half, our substitutions, including Erkia Sneman, who scored the only try of the match, brought us back into contention. And then our subs uh, really had a positive impact, most notably Oxenchair, and then with Andre Pollard able to kick the winning penalty. So very, very stressful, but all's well that ends well. And um, yeah, just how confident were you guys that we would be able to fight back? Or were you thinking we've blown it? We've, uh, you know, we've left too much on the table so late in the game. No, I think I think the game went. I mean, obviously we were ex- hoping, expecting on paper, thinking this one should should walk it comfortably. But I mean, I think if we were going to have a flat performance, it went kind of according to plan. And this is what I was saying, at least when everyone you know, people were, were worried about getting overconfident. Like, yes, England dominated us, but they're not a team that's going to punish you on the scoreboard for their dominance. You know, the fact that they were only ever nine points ahead of us. You know, for the considering the dominance, it, you know that's really not an unassailable lead, because, and you know we obviously assailed it. Um, so, I think like that, the fact that we were only ever nine points behind made me not confident, but comfortable that you know we could chase that down. It wasn't a lot of points, you know. It wasn't like they scored two tries against us, and we had to score three to beat them. Like all, we just needed the one try. So. I, and and we th- I think we all knew that our bench was the better bench, particularly our scrumming forwards. Like we were gonna, they'd started their stronger scrummers, um, and when we brought on, we knew that that Ox would be the difference maker. Like we would crush them in the second half because I've said it repeatedly, Genge and Sinclair are bad scrummages. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, they they left it a lot later than I was hoping, and it was far tighter than I would have predicted, even if. But I think. The combination of or England just not being a good team at scoring points and our bench is kind of the narrative that we were predicting if it were going to be a close game, um, you know, which which maybe people weren't predicting in the first place. But, but the worst case scenario, I still thought was a Springbok win. <laughs> That's very uh, optimistic of you. Uh, the worst <laughs> case scenario, I think either Ant is um, the most optimistic man alive or he has very little imagination. A lot could go wrong. Well, <laughs> but it, it, it did, and we still won. They this dominated us, and we won the game. So I'm just saying, I think it was, we played about as badly as we could have. And we I won hear the you. Game. So, I hear you. you know. <laughs> uh, Andrew, your thoughts? Um, I do think a lot of credit has to go to England. Like, they played very negative rugby, but it was actually the perfect tactics against Springboks in those weather conditions. It was very smart. Um, we were saying uh, off air about how Manu Tuilangi, who, who usually is the source of their go-forward ball and game plan route A is just Tuilangi bashed up in centres, much like we used Allender. Um, he he had three carries, I think, in 80 minutes. Um, the ball never got past the, the forwards in Farrell. And if it got to Farrell, it got kicked. Um, and they kicked very well. So... Um, their, their halfback pairing, at least uh, in the beginning, kicked a lot more accurately than our, our halfbacks. Um, Reinach and Lobok are made for uh, flat, dry tracks, I think, and this didn't suit them at all. And to yank Marnie at 31 minutes was controversial, but I think ultimately the right call. You know, this is the game that is made for 
for Andre Pollard, uh, defensive mishaps, you know, disregarded. It it felt like a really good tactic from England. Um, our uh, skills out of the high ball were called into pre- into question again. Um, we were put under a lot of pressure. Uh, Cheslin took a few good ones, um, but uh, other than that, Freddie Stewart really outmatched um, the the Springboks on this. So, you know, I feel like they played smart but unattractive and negative rugby against the Springboks, and it, and it nearly, nearly, nearly worked. If it wasn't for um, our replacements, particularly Ox and Chair, winning us like three or four scrum penalties in a row, uh, we wouldn't still be in this competition. So we owe him a debt of gratitude. And I see uh, Woolworth South Africa gave him a lifetime, uh, well, a year's supply of chocolate cake um, in recognition of his contributions to South African rugby. So good on them. That's well deserved. Yeah, that's a lot of cake. I hope Woolworths are able to uh, come through and fulfill their promise. But uh, yes, get that man a cake. Are you, I feel are like you he... worried about their profitability? You worried about their <laughs> concern? Um, I'm just. I feel like Ox can probably go to any sort of uh, bakery in South Africa at the moment, and people will buy him cake. He <laughs> had made that much of a positive impact. I mean, even speaking to some people at work, you know, who are more casual rugby followers and only really watch the World Cup, they were pretty impressed just with how much of an impact and how dominant he was in the scrums and even that last scrum looking where there maybe he is a little bit of controversy some people arguing that he was slightly lucky in that one i think you just have to give him credit if like the picture that he painted in all the scrums before that like he was so dominant that even if it was a 50 50 call mm. he was always going to get that one because mm. you know he had got he had absolutely demolished the scrums prior to that so yeah really yeah, the, really the happy with that. The, the, the pin on that last one it wasn't dogs that was on um again he was putting his knee down and then bouncing up on on the angle like yeah which no, exactly. calls. like if which, you actually just look at the footage like the screenshot obviously is on the angle but that's because you can push that by Genj, yeah. and you can just you, see quite clearly Genj and dropping to the knee and then bending but also Ben O'Keefe explained it very clearly and very succinctly in terms of what happened. So uh, it's one of those where, of course, it's a game-changing decision. So everyone's going to try and scrutinize it, scrutinize it to the nth degree. But um, yeah, in the at the end of the day, Ox came it on. It does seem like a stupid one to, to get upset with considering they got obliterated the previous four scrums. And like everyone's like, yeah, yeah no, we probably got annihilated those scrums, but no, no this one... Uh, the ref got it wrong. You're like, mate, like, either take an issue with getting drilled at all of them or just chill. Like, sure. Yeah. And uh, just quickly, uh, I saw there was a stat from the match with, that the Springboks didn't concede a single line break against England in the match. Um, which is pretty crazy, but perhaps speaks a bit more, like you were saying, Andrew, the sort of English game plan with not really looking to attack and make that sort of impact on the, yeah, on the defense. So more sort of playing for points and playing for territory. I mean, the genuine question, did they run at our line once in the game? No. <laughs> did, did, they, did they threaten our trial line at any point? Were they in our 22? And this is, I, mean, I genuinely am trying to think back if they were actually in our 22. Um, I, I read the stats earlier. They had four 22 entries and we had three. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, I know we got to their trial a couple of times, but that's a, I mean, I, that's, I, yeah. that's a dour stat for a game of rugby full stop, though. 
like the amount of rugby that was played between the 22s and with very, very little creative play it was just kick and recover if you can and try and force penalties with um you know close range pick and goes and and plays off nine it, it wasn't nice rugby to watch at all from either side yeah. but england yeah. england were engineering that and and we really played into the only game plan that england could beat us with um which is kind of frustrating as a bok fan that we weren't more adaptable to that and then we and then we undermined ourselves further by stupid mistakes like skew throws at the line out and simple knock-ons and miscommunications. It was a frustrating game. And if we if we play like that again next week against an all-black side who, who aren't at their best, but um, they've shown they can put teams away, uh, we will get put away if we play like that again next weekend. But you know, I don't want to jump the gun, but I don't think we will. Yeah, I, I definitely think we've left a lot in the tank. Uh, even if it if, if it felt like it took a lot out of us in this game, um, but that begs the question: like, feels like weather... a very big call. <laughs> <laughs> but like the weather was bad on Saturday, but the forecast was also bad. Um, why did we go in with that game plan and Get... make have to make the early change? I mean, there's. There's not really an explanation for that. Um, there was a a lot of people supported the the content the uh, what's consistency in selection. Um, when we picked the same side again, thought, okay, well here we go. And apparently that was the first the first time in sixty test matches that a Springbok side has gone ahead without a single change to the lineup for the twenty three, which is you know eyebrow raising um, in the semifinals of a World Cup. And ultimately, I think everyone can see in retrospect, there was a need to rotate players. The guys were fired from that gargantuan effort uh, in the quarterfinals, which was needed. But um, some of the players should have got a rest. And definitely, if we had a secure weather forecast ahead of time, um, Faf de Klerk and, and Andre Pollard have played in, in wet weather conditions a lot more than Kobus Reinach and Marnie Lubbock. And their gameplays and styles suit where where the play. Um, I don't think we would have changed outside backs or or, or center pairing, but definitely half backs. Uh, and it and it showed. And, and I think that's ultimately why we yanked Marnie early. And my only concern now is, you know, if we get a clear weather forecast and we want to play Marnie, what has yanking him early done to his confidence? Because he's a confidence player. He's a young guy. He's uh you know got a, a lot riding on his shoulders right now. He's only played Maybe 15 tests uh, for the Springboks. About that. Maybe not yeah, even not that many. I don't think it's even 10. 10, 12, maybe. So yeah. uh, it's a lot to ask from a young guy. Um, they say he's pretty unflappable, but that will be put to the ultimate. Well, I mean, I, I, I heard the interview with him afterwards and he seemed pretty chilled. And you've seen him, like, the way that the coaches have backed him. Like, I don't think he would have, I think he'll quite comfortably recognize, you know, look, it wasn't his night. They came on and did the job, just like all the guys. You know, like Ox is, you know, he obviously was far more dominant than Kitsuko. And I don't think he's going to be like, oh, I need to start now. I don't think he's going to take it as a fence, not start. I think like that Springbok culture and it's a hundred, it's so much of it is team first. I don't think, I don't think there should, there would be a worry about Lebok feeling like he, you know, is, is not trusted by the coaches or anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've we've said over the years that it's one of the best things that Rossi and Jacques 
I've managed to do is create that squad dynamic where people are fully supportive, at least from the outside, it seems so. Um, whether they're on the bench or whether they're, you know, not in the match 23 at all. So hopefully there's no issue there. But yeah, I mean, like you say, Andrew, in terms of confidence, it's always going to take a bit of a hit. It's not nice for anyone to come off after half an hour before even half time. But um, I think this weekend, the forecast is again for rain, unfortunately, for Lebak at least, but probably all of us. So it definitely, I think, will have an impact on squad selection. And I'm not sure when we're expecting to see the squad, maybe Thursday again. But uh, yeah, before we get into that... Uh, uh, maybe some any, any other comments on the game itself before we look ahead to the weekend. Just don't let it be. Yeah, I mean, it, I think a lot, a lot, a lot of the comments feed into you know probably the preview and stuff, which is just the flatness of the players. Do we rotate? Do we not? Because um, you know, guys like Etzebe who came from like you know career best performance to probably one of his worst quietest performances. You know. Um, it's it, yeah, but that'll all be feeding into the TV chat. Maybe before we get into the the preview chat, we can just mention that um, we're st we're not sure of if there's any seriousness or any outcomes yet. But Bongi was reported by England and Tom Curry for uh, I guess an accusation of a what racial did he say? slur, what, even. What did he say? <laughs> so. Uh, Tom Curry alleges that he called him a white cunt. The this has been spoken a lot in not just social media, but also you know the not tabloids, but other more reputable um, newspapers and such about the translation issues. Obviously, cunt in Afrikaans means side, as we all know, it's being relatively decent Afrikaans speakers, some better than others, probably. But um, yeah, and white is obviously the color England we're wearing. Don't know if it um, makes too much of a difference in terms of uh, the way that he meant to use it. But based on someone like Bongi, you think if he was trying to insult him, that wouldn't really be the language he would be using. Uh, but it has caused a little bit of a storm in a teacup. So I don't know if we're going to hear anything about it soon. But it, it must have a small impact, hopefully uh, very, very small, on, on the preparation for this week. Yeah. I feel like if there's one player that wouldn't be bothered by this, it would be Bongi at least. <laughs> yeah. Look, at a minimum, it's going to have an effect on the team environment, just having it out in the media and a little bit of a media storm around this singular issue. But I don't think it's going to distract the players too much. I don't think World Rugby is going to have any proclamation in time for a World Cup final. So, I mean, there's there's a there's a universe in which we go to a World Cup final with Dion Ferry as our starting hooker. And that's not a universe we necessarily want to live in. But I don't see that being the I don't see that being the the reality at all. Um, there's 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 a lot of mitigating factors. There's no evidence. Um, Bongi hasn't denied it, but he hasn't confirmed it. And in in the Springbok environment, with the whole multiracial representation, like it's highly unlikely that that was said with any racial undertones at all. So 
I don't think he's the most cerebral player. He might have he might have uh, let that one slip, but I think there's enough mitigation that he'll probably get off the hook and this will be a non-issue uh, in a week's time. Yeah, I can't see this going too far, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's literally just Curry's word against anyone else's. And I think there's enough, as you say, language explanation that even if it gets somewhere, you know, um, I don't know, I've got my own views on, on it, but I feel like this, you know, the the language used, you know, was less racially charged than potentially other slurs could be. I suppose that doesn't really mitigate anything, but like, um, yeah, I don't see, I don't see this being an issue longer term. I think it's, it's, yeah. there's, there's enough stuff to be, you know, so whether you did say it or not, or um, from a rugby, a purely rugby perspective, I don't see it being an issue. Um, yeah. I mean, from the rugby perspective, I think more of a potential issue for the Springboks is that Bongi played 80 minutes. Um, I think partly it was because obviously wanting Dion Fury on as a flank, but also I think his scrumming, scrumming prowess was also pretty crucial in those later um, periods of the game. But given that he's now played 80 minutes in a semi-final, expected to play the majority of... of Saturday in a final, it's asking a lot of him. I mean, he's a very capable and strong player. He's a, a hooker who generally gets his basics right, his scrumming and his uh, lineouts or his strong points. But um, are you guys worried that we are pushing, we've had to push him a little bit too hard and maybe Dion Free as a backup option is still not an ideal replacement, especially in the front row for big scrums? One word, yes. <laughs> No, I, I disagree. I, I don't think Dion, apart from two early engagements early in the competition against Ireland, uh, has done anything wrong at Hooker. I, I don't think he's done anything to deserve neg negative criticism. Uh, his lineouts have been good. His scrumming since then has, has improved a lot. Uh, he's dynamic around the field in ways that I think even Bongi isn't. Um, he, he set up the Achis Neyman trial, for instance, with a really nicely timed and really intense breakaway, uh, getting over the gain line and giving Ache the chance to to break the line and get over the over the whitewash. So I, I'm I'm not that worried about him being a replacement hooker. I don't think he's a starting hooker quality just because he doesn't have that international experience that or nearly anything like Bongi does as a 65 test Springbok. Yeah. I, I don't think he's a terrible backup. But sure. you know, Bongi's with the whole Springbok team, um We've had an off day, and I think the guys have enough motivation and enough team culture to pick themselves up for one last game, because that that's all it is. They need eighty minutes, um, maybe eighty and a bit minutes, over over the next week to become world champions. And as South Africans, we have all the extra motivation that other teams worldwide don't have. Um, you're not just playing for yourself; you're playing for your country, quite literally. So. I don't see there being a problem getting themselves up if they get the rest requirements right during the week and they manage the players well, you know, noting, noting what happened over the last weekend. I, I don't see that yeah. being a problem. Um, they'll get yeah. nice afterwards. Yeah, we'd happily take another one-point win, of course. Um, yeah, oh. Just just a quick, a quick note. Uh, the worst line-out of the match by a country mile went to Jamie George. It uh, somehow slipped out of ever. it somehow slipped out of his hand completely the wrong direction. It was on par with uh, Matthew Jalibe's kick 
for touch <laughs> in the semi in the in the quarterfinal. Uh, it was quite a quite a funny one to see, but I'm sure, uh, given the conditions and perhaps one or two other things, it can happen to the best of them. I mean, Jamie George, he might not be the best hooker around the paddock, but his <laughs> but uh, his his uh, lineouts are normally exemplary. But that one literally slipped out of his hand. No, that was terrible. That one was very funny. <laughs> but if you want, um, you want to talk about um, terrible rugby and, in the same breath, bad-natured rugby players, can we talk a little bit about Vili LaRue? We can, we can. So I think uh, I'll take this opportunity, Vili being one of my favorite players. Uh, so it, it's with a heavy heart and with a... Yeah, with a little bit of sadness that I have to say I was disappointed with his, not just his performance. I think he could have been better, but he didn't necessarily do anything horrific when he came onto the field. But again, it was a sort of lack of impact that you would want from a, a fullback coming onto the field late, maybe providing a little bit of stability, uh, experience wise, cool head, that sort of thing is what you're looking for. But really his behavior after the final whistle, um, sort of running straight to the faces of a couple of the English forwards and eventually Farrell, I think. And it really caused the uh, fracas that happened. But as a senior buck, but even as a buck, like once the game is done, like I think you sort of have a reputation to be the better man in that sense. Um, like, like leave it all on the field, like let go sort of, you know, let your haunt in terms of he's the strand haunt, um, let it out on the field. But once you, once your the game is finished, that's just really obviously unprofessional, but also just like provoking and like bad attitude and the sort of behavior that the Springboks have been promoting, whether it's the sort of documentaries behind the scenes footage or just what they sort of say in press conferences and stuff like that was the complete opposite of what we would hope for. So I think he let himself down um, and he, yeah, just the culture of the team a little bit too. So by that, his teammates as well. So I would hope that he looks back at that footage with a bit of regret um, and hopefully behaves a bit better in the final, whether he's on the bench or whether he's in the stands. So you're definitely not starting then, eh? <laughs> I don't think that he's starting. But saying that, I mean, if Pollard is starting, I think even if Pollard's starting, he's not starting. But um, that's generally been our the policy that we've spoken about when Pollard plays. It's sort of a little bit of... Um, it feels a little bit safer to have Billy at 15. But uh, I don't think so. I think Pollard has a chance of starting. I think that's a good way just to move forward into the next match. Uh, Faf and Pollard, there's a very good chance of them starting, especially if the weather's wet like it's predicted to be. Uh, would you guys do that? Would that be the safer option and having a 6-2 split with Libok and a scrum half on the bench? I mean, I thought we should have won 6-2 for this game. I mean, I think it really didn't add anything when he came on for, I would say, arguably the second game in a row. Um, and I think Again, given how tired our forwards were, um, I think this 6-2 would have been a good option. You know, if we'd had, say, Mark and Stardin on, then we could have taken Wongi off, moved Dion for E. I mean, obviously, the scrum uh, stuff is, is part of it. Um, but, yeah, I don't think Vili had anything. I don't think Willemsen had a bad game. So, I don't think I don't think we needed to have Vili there. Um, so, for this game, 
yeah, I mean, the last time we beat New Zealand, we were, we were 7-1. I think going close to that 6-2 would be my preferred way. Um, I think if particularly if it's wet and we want to play forwards dominant, then let's go uh, Lebok. I mean, sorry, let's go go Pollard. Um, whether that means we have Lebok on the bench or not, I think he covers 10 and 15 in the same way, uh, closely enough to the way that Billy does. So maybe we can get away with that. Um but yeah, I think if it's, particularly if it's wet, I think it's also an easy way to justify selecting Pollard um, without it coming across as, as dropping a guy, you know, or yeah. forces type selection. For sure. I think Andrea, a wider question though is... Sorry, there you go. Um, I, I wouldn't mind it, especially if the forecast is for rain. Um, they're both proven match winners. They've both won a World Cup final together. And... Uh, I feel like there's 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 two ways to to defeat the All Blacks, and you have to do both to do it, uh, at least convincingly. And the, and the one is to beat them up front. So as Anne said, that extra forward makes a huge difference. If we can put a Jean Klein or a Marco van Staden on the bench, that would make me quite a bit more comfortable than a Billy Larue and what he could bring. And and the second is you have to cut them down with your defensive systems and not let that backline get loose. Um, so. Number one, I think Pollard and, and Faf have the more accurate kicking game than than Reinach and and uh, Lebok, and that helps with preventing counter attacks. Uh, that that is why Jordan is the leading try scorer for this tournament. And you know, I think with our rush defense uh, from our wings and outside center, who yeah, they they weren't really used in the last game because England didn't go wider than than ten. Uh, that that is a, a big string to our bow. So. If you can cover those two things, I think a six-two split and a the uh, Clack Pollard halfback pairing, they definitely lend themselves to those. That that being said, you know we did it differently against the All Blacks and and beat them by. Well, we scored thirty-five points and um, you know had a, had a really good game with with different tactics. But that was a wasn't a World Cup final. And it wasn't in the wet, so I feel like these are different conditions and call for different tactics. Yeah, I think I pretty much agree. Um, Ant, you're going to lead us into the next big thing, I think you're going to say. Um, do you want to unmute yourself? Sorry, I think the, the big question is, do we do any rotation in the starting pack? I mean, as I mentioned, there's a lot of those guys looked flat. Um, I would say guys like Celia, Dwayne, Peter, Steph, Eben, all had the kind of quietest games this World Cup. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, again, it's understandable. We've just come off a massive, massive effort in the French. And we've had a pretty tough run of it. French, Ireland, Scotland, England, you know, kind of three of the top five sides in England are now sitting sixth. So, you know, if we beat New Zealand, we've beaten the five next-ranked teams in the in the tournament, um, at least by the end of it. So it, it's, it's understandable. But does that mean we should maybe consider some rotation? Having a guy like... I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but maybe starting Klein and, and Archia or something like that. Do you start uh, Jasper oh. because you've maybe got more energy and you bring a Dwayne off the bench? Do you give mm. Quacha a run? I mean, Quacha has obviously been electric every time towards you. It's, it's, I don't know if we'll do it. I, I have a suspicion we won't, but I mean, would you guys consider something like that? I think so. I mean, I spoke, I think, last week about before the team was announced about potentially having Visa even last week and having a bit of a rotation. And I think I think that might 
in hindsight always a bit easy to say, but I think having Visa starting and having Dwayne on the bench is quite an attractive proposition given that Visa gives you that energy, uh, which Dwayne doesn't quite have. And coming off the bench, especially if we do manage to have a bit of a lead, I think Dwayne will bring that experience and that calming presence and hopefully a turnover or two. Uh, when he can't, comes on against a sort of more tired team, I would definitely be considering playing Visa. I think uh, uh, Jean Klein, I can't see him starting, but I see what you're saying. I mean, even as amazing as he has been for four years, pretty much, he did look relatively flat on Saturday. He came off early. Hopefully coming off early is going to help him perform this weekend. I think, like Andrew was saying earlier, you don't need any sort of motivation for a World Cup final. The motivation levels will be right up there, 100%. But physical energy, perhaps you can't control for as much. So I think it's really on the Springbok team to know how tired individuals are and if changes do need to be made. And if that means it's a bit coming off the bench and starting Echia and starting even Klein or someone, I think they need to make that call within the camp and see what their sort of fatigue levels are like. And it's hard, but, you know, a World Cup final, they've spoken so much about how it's the squad. The squad is the biggest thing. It's nothing like personal where people are getting dropped and they want to do the best for the squad. So if players if players are fresher and more up for it, then they should start. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to just think of the impact of if you bring a duet, an Etzebeth off the bench, I mean, he's yeah. going to be going absolutely hell for leather. Yeah. Um, you know, and so so it's, it's. I did hear an interesting comment about Etzebeth and being like, look, the only way you win a World Cup Finals of Etzebeth is firing. Um, so therefore, you take him off early and you give him the rest he needs just because, look, if you come third or you come second, who cares? So rather than sure, put that insurance policy in place, back yourself the rest of your squad to be able to get you over the line and then try and preserve your key, key, key player, your Etzebeth, your Khaleesi um, for the final. I, I don't know. I, I think you you manage the fatigue levels this week. I think you're not going to gain a whole lot by running hectic fitness sessions and gym sessions this week. You stand to lose a lot more uh, by overtraining in the last week before World Cup final. I think you do more team analysis. You do more strategy work, uh, stuff in front of a whiteboard and running light sessions on the training field. And you you I would start the same type five. Um, maybe some rotation at eight with Visa coming in for Dwayne. Um, and I think you just manage it dynamically with the subs. If if Kitsov, can, all you can do is just go hammer and tongs for 30 minutes and you bring him off for Ox, Ox can go 50, that's fine. He hasn't had the same minutes that Kitsov has. Um, the same with, with Etzebeth and, and Franco Mostert. Uh, you, you manage it based on the player fatigue and you either you either go two locks or two loose forwards. Um, I don't quite know which way I'd go. I'd maybe go rather Fenstaden for the hooker cover, um, over Jean Klein, who's unlucky to miss out. Um, but I think you start pretty much the same pack, and you just manage it more dynamically for energy levels, and you manage the the recovery during the week because if you can get the guys mentally and physically recovered from from the quarter and semi get them up for one last game, I think you're golden. You've got to play your best players. Yeah, I mean, like Ant was saying, in terms of having a down match, 
rather that we've had it in the semi-final. We've still come through. We're in the final now. Hopefully, whether it's physical energy, mental energy, any of sort of different factors that we need to get completely up and ready for this match will happen after last week's performance. And yeah, I, I agree. I think this week is more about the sort of more mental side of the game. And you've done all the physical hard work. You've done all the, you know, training in terms of uh, fitness levels and all of that. So just trust the processes and do what you need to do. Yeah. The only, the only, the only subs I would entertain as a coach would be eight, nine and 10. Interesting. And do you think, yeah, I think are you expecting more? No, I don't, I, I'm not expecting more. I was just wondering about the option of it. I think I could see the logic in it, but I don't think it'll happen. Um, but yeah, I'm just from a mental perspective, you know, obviously the, the I think that the, the, the big, for me, the big trade-off in this game is the energy fatigue the Springboks have gone through beating you know, two one-point wins is really just mentally taxing and stressful and draining. I mean, if you think about how stressful stressed we all are, and we didn't even actually play the game. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> the players are definitely feeling it. And on the other hand, you've got the All Blacks who had a very easy game this week. You know, yes, they didn't play particularly well, so they might probably not um, full of themselves, but it was still such a comfortable game. You know, they may be feeling a bit flat, maybe a bit overconfident. Like, I mean, I'm sure we'll be driving the underdogs narrative this week very hard. Um, and to be fair, the All Blacks probably have the revenge for the 35-7 in their heads. But you know, I think that's going to be the very interesting dynamic is the, managing the energy levels of the Springboks, um, that mental fatigue versus the maybe not quite firingness of the All Blacks that they would, would be looking for. I will say just one other change that I would consider is um, Arinsa for Moody. So Arinsa is oh. a bit of a he's a bit of a player player um but in the last in the two knockout games i haven't seen a whole lot from him and if anything we need to shore up our, our kick defense and moody is you know 1.9 meters he's solid under the high ball uh, on attack and defense uh he's fresh he has work rate he's young i might entertain that change as as, as much of a hot take as that might be that's a little bit of a hot take i think especially you know kurt curtly like you say uh, we, he hasn't got a lot of opportunity, but he's taken, he took that try amazingly against France. Um, yeah. He hasn't done much wrong. Moody, because he's so young, it's a lot to place on his shoulders in a World Cup final. I mean, if he's playing opposite one of these New Zealand wings, it's a scary prospect, but you know, he hasn't, he hasn't let us down yet, but I would say that's a big call. I, I don't hate it, but I think it's just a lot to ask of him. And I don't think Irons is, done enough like wrong to um to warrant thinking about moving him off yeah I, i'm i'm with um phil on this i think you know we saw what 20 year old bill Beery, i mean he was also playing incredibly well but found was found out severely in a world cup playoff game i don't know if i want to put that kind of pressure on moody um in the same way i think Kurtley's a little bit older a little bit more experienced he's got the two games under his belt now he's played in the wet like i just think let's rather just stick with with him because again he hasn't been bad so the one one factor that we know for sure already before the ta uh, the team shoots are out is the referee so wayne barnes has been announced as um 
the referee for the final. We know that we're not going to get Ben O'Keefe for a third match. Well, we knew before because we're playing New Zealand. But uh, what are your initial thoughts, guys, about having Wayne Barnes? Is he best possible option or does he maybe favor a type of play which isn't in our best interest? Well, if the alternatives are Raynell or McBerry, like McBerry got the, uh, the third, fourth playoff, then yes, we got the best option. Uh, no, in general, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with Wayne Barnes. I like the way yeah. he is. I think it's, I don't, I don't think there's anything we can want for more than that. Yeah. Um, the other, I guess, possibility was Gus Gardner, who is also not, not my absolute favorite. He, he tends to involve, over involve himself in the play. Um, and I just have a thing about French refs, so my two Reynolds out. So I think Wayne Barnes uh, is probably the the best going around at the moment. He deserves the appointment. Um, well done to him. And I think he's fair, uh, even if you might not agree with some of his calls. I think he's consistent to both sides. Uh, I don't think he's um, you know volatile. I think he'll he'll be up for the big occasion. So yeah, fairly happy with that appointment. I don't think that's. I think that's a worry for us. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, and looking ahead, uh, one of the things I heard mentioned um, in last week was the people being surpri surprised that the French chose to support England over us. Do you think that was mostly because of the quarterfinal? Do you think it's a surprising thing no matter what? Uh or maybe just some more booze for Ben O'Keefe. I think that was quite noticeable in, in some of the match footage. Well, Reinach got a death threat from a French fan. I think that tells you about the mood in France towards the Springboks. Um, we knocked their darlings out in the quarterfinals, and they, they reckon Ben O'Keefe had a fair amount to do with it. So I think the two together were quite volatile. I did notice there were a special booze for Eben Etzebeth, who was also a controversial character in the in the quarterfinals, or should I say Elisabetti, uh, who <laughs> uh, got got some special booze when he was on the big screen. Uh, so yeah, not great sportsmanship from sportsmanship from the French. I did expect better, uh, but they're clearly hurting. Uh, but huge, I mean, for them to cheer for the English, who are their you know eternal rivals in everything. Um, that says a lot about how much this World Cup means. It's interesting. I thought they were just booing everyone and everything. I didn't realize that they had a... I didn't notice them aiming. I just saw them booing in general. I thought they were just being generally grumpy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure. I think uh, I just heard uh, Scott Britz mention that he was surprised that there were more boos for the South Africans than the English. So. That's probably... On the balance of it, I think there were more boos for the South Africans. But I, I think there was booze for both. <laughs> sure. But maybe that again just talks to the fact that they, they don't like either of us. Yep. Um, so one of the other things to mention, uh, I think it's the center partnership of Damien Dialenda and Jesse Krill are uh, potentially tying the record for center combinations with Jean de Villiers and Jacques Free. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah, I think they're both uh go on to well if they get selected of course if we don't spring a surprise with esther hazen or am or moody in the centers then they will yeah i think it's 29 appearances as a partnership so they obviously didn't play together for a long time but um in the hennecke area area era they um 
got a lot of games together and now the last few games with Am being out injured and then on the fringe of the squad, they've had a lot of games together again. So, yeah, a very good partnership. I, I just can't quite hold them in the same same conversation as Fourier and De Villiers. It just feels like that was a legendary, iconic, charismatic pairing, whereas Dallander and Creel always feels like a bit of a stopgap. It's really unfair on, I think, especially Creel because he he has put in some incredible performances. The quarterfinal probably one of his best ever, um, probably one of the best ever by South African 13 in my, in my books. Uh, and he's never really let us down, but he's never been first choice. He's always been an understudy. Uh, so, but yeah, good on them. I mean, that's, that's a incredible contribution to South African rugby over the years. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a weird one. Cause I think they're both just, they've both just been so heavily criticized so regularly. And I mean, Creel to just being, more of a show pony than a, a physical show pony, not a flary show pony, um, than a you know particularly talented rugby player. And, and I think similar for Delendi, that he's seen as a very one-dimensional crash ball player, um, rather than holding a whole range of skills. You know, so I think they they that probably feeds into that narrative. But you know, the, the fact that Delendi's got you know the one record on the one hand with Creel on the verge now, but he's also got the same record on the verge with Um, um you know, so he could very quickly be the the, the, the well, I mean, he is the first and second most capped. Well, he's the second and second most capped, but with two different center partners. Yes. Yeah, um, exactly. That's quite crazy. Yeah. So I think uh, whatever happens, they've done pretty well. Um, and they've, like Andrew said, sort of having to fight through some sort of levels of adversity in terms of criticism. Uh, I think Creel slightly more, but also... Uh, Damien Dialenda. Yeah, so... if, if I can jump on that criticism train, um, <laughs> you know, Dialendi, he he is our go forward source. You know, he gets over the gain line. He, he does crash ball. He he's good. He's good at what he does. I mean, he's better than literally anyone else in the world at that style of play, and that's what he does well for us. He's not a second playmaker. He's not a flair sort of player. I mean, he occasionally has really good moments, like his kick over the top in the quarterfinals put France under even more pressure, which led to DuPont giving away a penalty on the five-meter line. Um, occasionally he does that, but that's not his mainstay. And against England, he had five or six carries where they just stopped him absolutely flat. And I don't know that he had a successful gain line carry at all through the whole game. And he is a bit one-dimensional. When you cut him off the knees like that, I don't feel like he has very much else to offer. So for me, having a guy like Lubbock on the bench and potentially shifting uh, Henry to 12 or even Willemser to 12 as a makeshift, if that is just not working and you got to 65 minutes and Damien hasn't come up with anything else because uh, Jordy's got his number or whatever, it's, it's an option I like, um, although he's not usually the player we would sub. Yeah, I think one of... The, being against Geordie is going to be a massive battle. I think Geordie is a player, obviously, New Zealand missed against France in the opening match of the tournament. And he's just such a constant... Like, he's got such a consistent level of performance. I, th I think he got the official man of the match on Saturday. But since they've moved him to 12, I mean, I think we, in one way or another, have been calling for him to play 12 a bit more often, given All Blacks, like... Um, 
strength and depth out wide, fullback and wing. But at 12, he's really come into his own. And I think it could be a point of difference. I'm not saying it will be, but it's a massive battle and one I can't wait to watch between Jordi and Damien Dialendo. Are there any selection um, potential surprises that you guys could maybe see on All Black side? Any change, basically, from the strongest lineups that we've seen in the last couple of matches? I mean, they kept it pretty much the same uh, in the last two, with the exception of bringing in Mark Talera or Fainganuku, who's, again, played very well. Well, I think that's the only real conversation is, is Fainganuku. Versus Talia, I think Talia, I mean, he broke what another 14 tackles or something stupid. Um, so chances are he'll get the nod again. Um, he's just literally made of rubber. I don't know, it's impossible <laughs> to bring that man down. <laughs> yeah, we did manage to control him in the 35 point game, uh, before the world cup. You just cut down his space and you just don't let him dance around like he does because once he starts, like you said, yeah. it's impossible to bring down. So we have we have the system to contain him. Um, I'm a big fan of Fanganuku, so I might be siding with with that decision. I think the other the other potentially big call is in the locks. Do you go Barrett and Whitelock? Do you go um, Whitelock and and Retallick? Um Who gets who gets on the bench? I mean, Whitelock. Every every time I think he's got over his brainless stupid plays, he does something else and gets a yellow card or gives away stupid penalties. And there's no different in the semifinals and giving away that yellow card for you know just putting up his Barrett. hand, disrupting yeah. the yeah sorry Scott Barrett um putting up his hand and and disrupting the the scrum off. So you know you're a how many test all black now and you're one of the world's best locks. Why are you still doing Thomas Love and things? Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it's it's maybe what they want off the bench. I mean, we've seen quite often Scott Barrett and Retallick starting with Whitelock on the bench, but I think having Whitelock and Barrett starting and then Retallick coming off the bench is quite a dangerous um, thing that they could spring on us. I think bringing Retallick on almost in response to us springing, whether it's Snaman or whether we decide to do something with Etzebeth, it's a little bit of a potential counter. I don't know if it will happen, but that's definitely where they have three really, really uh, high-level players and they can play around a bit. I, I don't think we'll see Scott Barrett at six. I think that little experiment sort of finished with Frizzell uh, performing as well as he did. But I think given Frizzell's performance earlier this season in New Zealand, that's also an area where we no doubt will want to cut them off very fast. Well, I've been saying since Frizzell became a mainstay at the All Blacks, I've been saying he's due a brain fade and a red card. So until now, he's he's proven me wrong. He's actually been consistently really bloody good. So I'm really hoping the World Cup final is where he finally comes unstuck and goes back to his, uh, you know, Good old uh, nature that we know he has inside him. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> um, yeah, and from our side, obviously, we we haven't had a disciplinary or major dis disciplinary issue for a while. Are you guys confident that we've got that under control? Obviously, sometimes little things can happen and things you don't expect, but not worried about a potential card having a major impact on our performance? 
Yeah, I think we've proven that, you know, I mean, the only card we've got is that very marginal uh, Etzebeth one. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, we can be comfortable that that's not a factor in our game. Whereas All Blacks, on the other hand, I mean, they gave uh, two cards against Argentina, two cards against Ireland. Um, you know, they, they, if they don't give away a card, it'll be quite surprising. Yeah. Especially if we uh, put them under the sort of pressure, which, like Andrew was saying, that we managed to do in that warm-up match. Uh, they were under constant pressure in that first, especially that first half an hour before. They got two yellow cards, I think, in the first half. Um, I think before we get to the spicy um, prediction for the final let's quickly take a very short look at the third fourth clap in fact we're not really going to look at it i'm just going to ask you for your predictions we don't really need to, you know these teams don't really want to be there we don't know what sort of teams england and argentina are going to pick so just based on your gut feel who do you think is going to take third place and do you want to start with you i mean england beat them convincingly in the pool stages they played the much better semi-finals i mean it would be very Weird to bet against them. Um, but then again, Argentina were so poor that maybe Checo will light a fire underneath them and they'll come out fire firing. You know, the same thing applies that like England can dominate and they probably will dominate Argentina for large patches, just like arguably Wales dominated Argentina for large patches. But Argentina is a team that can actually score a couple of tries, which, you know, we all know two tries beats, you know, three penalties, four penalties. So it, I could see Argentina winning it, but I mean, one would think factually it has to be England. Yeah, and England beat Argentina without a try, I think, in the pool stages. It was just the George Ford show. So, yeah, I expect more of the same. I think the RGs are just going to play negative rugby because they don't want to be there. They're going to be ill-disciplined. They're going to give away penalties and England will punish them, which will just reinforce the whole cycle. So I'm expecting a... A bit of a shit game, and I think England will will come out with a, or they'd be the, the lesser of two crap teams in who shouldn't have ever been near a World Cup semi final. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it, it's kind of crazy. Obviously, lots of things can happen, but if we had the two quarterfinals, uh, France, South Africa, New Zealand, Ireland as semi finals, it would have just been something ridiculous and something amazing but obviously weather comes into it there's a whole lot of other factors um and speaking of weather we're expecting as we said earlier some poor weather for the final on saturday uh that could have an impact what do you think how is it going to have an impact what's the final result put your money where your mouth is andrew let's start with you for this one can springboks make it four be the first country to get four world cups can they beat the all blacks on saturday will they beat the all blacks Will it be a one-point win? <laughs> what do you think? Well, I mean, you're yeah. asking two very different questions. <laughs> <laughs> Go one at a time. Can they? Sorry. Can they? And will they? Are very different options. Um, I think can they is is obvious. Yes, they can. I mean, they won the last game between the two teams. Um, will they? I think also yes. Um, if it's going to be bad weather, I think the only way the All Blacks beat us is with play out wide and individuals standing up in big moments to. Uh, capitalize on mistakes and counterattacks and things like that, especially if there's wet weather, those opportunities are cut down and it becomes a, a set piece battle and a battle up front and, a, and an error, an error rate driven result and attritional, which is all feeding into, I think, the Springboks uh, repertoire. 
So with the bad weather, but even without the bad weather, I think we this this result, I mean this um this game, given that we had that huge statement win in the warm-ups, um must be it it must play into this. I think the Springboks have worked the all blacks out. Um that's gonna give them a mental edge. I think they can just more than any other team in world rugby. Uh, get themselves up, get motivated for games. They're playing for so much more than New Zealand. Um, and I think the the Springboks will defend their champion status. I don't think it's going to be the prettiest game we've ever seen. I think it'll be a couple of big moments, um, some forward dominance, some important penalty kicks, um, some important decisions that are made. But I'm backing, backing the Springboks by... Uh, five to seven. Let's hear it, Ant. What have you got? That's a look. It's a great sell, Andrew. I almost believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. The playing the All Blacks always makes you nervous. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. The Springboks have it within them to win and win comfortably if they wanted to switch i think our strengths beat their strengths and i think if we play to our potential we'd probably squeeze them out the game um but i'm very nervous about whether we have that potential in us i'm nervous that france was our final in a way that the all blacks island game wasn't quite their final um and that makes me worried that they've they've got one more bigger performance in them than we do if that makes sense i mean i look i hope either way it's a really good game um i hope it's not like the england game but i do i do worry um that being said i think yeah, i said this was why it's a good sell the springboks have been there they've done it they've played a very squeaky bum semi-final um and come through and won the final before the all blacks haven't this group of all blacks it's only sam whitelock um, okay, never mind. There's quite a few of them that have won a World Cup before. <laughs> Sam Whitelock's um, the only one to won twice. So. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like Bowden, Aaron Smith, like yeah. those guys were all there in 2015. So um, it's hardly an experience all backside. So yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna back them like at the the Springboks, like I have the rest of the tournament. I think we're gonna do it. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been saying since day one the the Springbok side has the capability to do it whether they will like you said and two different questions um i think rossi and jacques you know since they took over this has actually been their their goal initially 18 months out from a world cup they didn't think that it was possible to turn things around so quickly and that win in 2019 obviously was completely deserved uh it was a, a wonderful moment and a wonderful performance especially in the final but they ultimately this was the goal this is what they were looking for this is what they were building for for their whole tenure as coaches whichever one has co uh, has been head coach and whichever one is you know water boy or whatever uh, the designation there was so i think that they've built up to this they've prepared a squad which has been able to you know deal with some of the issues whether it's been injuries or whether it's been players loss of form you know enough depth to have people in reserve that we can trust and that are capable of coming on as a bomb squad or as uh, an impact maker like Pollard has even in the last test. So I do, I, I believe 
as these adverts uh, go. And I believe that it will be super close. I think, like you were saying, and this New Zealand side, it's always nervous playing against them. They're capable of scoring two tries in two minutes if with not, none of the ball, pretty much. Um, so I'm predicting a hat-trick of one-point wins and for all of our blood pressure and tension to be rock high, or that's not the right, right way to say it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, an, a one-point win. So that's a hat-trick of uh, predictions for the Springboks to take it. So what more can what more can we say? Well, yeah, I think a lot of it's going to come down to the first 15, 20 minutes. We've seen when when the All Blacks cook up front and, and we're not up for it, it's very hard to come back against an All Black side, especially if it's going to be wet. If they can get yeah. two early tries, it's it's not looking good for the box. If we can apply early pressure, get some scoreboard pressure alongside that, then if it's an arm wrestle, I back the spring box. But you can never say never with an all-black side. Yeah, I think I agree that first 20 minutes. We haven't started well in either of the playoff matches so far, unfortunately. Uh, we started amazingly in that warm-up match against New Zealand. So that's what we've got to aim to do and then just squeeze the life out of them like we know we can. Um, don't allow them to play the game that they want to play. And we just dominate up front and squeeze the life out of them. We know our pack is better than theirs, whether it's wet or dry. So got to aim to make use of that advantage and not allow their dangerous backs to you know, get much opportunity at all. Yeah, so there you have it. We've gone for a Springbok win. All three of us believe that the Springboks will beat the All Blacks on Saturday. Uh, if you disagree with us, please let us know before the weekend and perhaps we'll even have a rebuttal or two. But um, yeah, any final words before we say goodbye? Andrew, Ant, any last words before the final? No, just go Booker and... We've been stressing enough for the last two weeks, so make make it all worth it. Yeah, it's it's a World Cup final. Um, I, I don't know that I've quite sunk into that reality yet because it sort of feels like we've just made our way here out of destiny or something. It's like I've, I've never really doubted that we'd be here, but now we are here and it's, it's all to play for. So it's a huge, huge weekend for World Rugby. I'm proud the Springboks are there and I believe they're going to go all the way. So, yeah, go Boca. Yeah, we've been spoiled with uh, whether it's a win or lose on the weekend, you know, two World Cup finals and two World Cups. Um, and we're confident we are backing our boys. Hope you are too. And, yeah, have a good weekend and we hope to have a really positive pod next week. Please join us whether we win or lose. But uh, the Springboks will do it. The Springboks can do it. Both one and the same. Cheers for now.